Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise from today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guests by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. At Content Allies, we turn you and your organization into industry thought leaders. We interview you and your leadership team, and then turn those interviews into articles, white papers, videos, podcasts, and social content. Learn more and say hello at contentallies.com. All right, Chris, thank you for coming on the show today. Super excited to have you here. Um, for anyone in the audience who doesn't know who you are or what building intelligence is, can you give us kind of the, the quick 60-second overview of what you guys do as a company? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Chris Laporte. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Building Intelligence. Uh, building Intelligence is a technology provider based around the commercial real estate and security space. Uh, our primary solution, our flagship product is SV3 which is a complete cloud-based solution for managing access and identities of vehicles, visitors, and vendors to events, stadiums, single or multi-tenant spaces. So essentially around all of commercial real estate and anything else outside of that. So it, it kind of bridges the spectrum of safety and amenity with logistics, uh, with also a transparency component that sits on top of the, the whole system. From a super high level, that's, that's what our product does. Okay, very fascinating. So understand correctly, then basically you guys are this kind of software solution. I imagine there's hardware involved as well. Um, that's basically yeah, enabling, you know, whether it's the vendors, the workers, the um, anyone like that coming into loading docks into the back ends of arenas, anything like that to kind of basically handle that security, that like access, all that. So when someone goes scans like a card ID, is that the kind of system you guys are running? Yeah, so that's exactly right, Jake. So, so what we have is we have the platform, which basically is the engine of the scheduling side that allows hosts, tenants within buildings, right, to schedule uh, individuals to come into that space, into that building. And upon execution of that, uh, that invitation and through email integration and a, a few other items, uh, an email is kicked out to that host or to the visitor, right, which has a credential, has a branded email that comes in in which they can then scan uh, just through a mobile device, kind of like you're at the airport, right, on a touchless experience there, or based off the security provisions and protocols that are at our particular space in a lobby of a building, then they can roll through. They may have to do a couple different checks at the security officer. Um, so, it, you know, it's interesting because in New York, uh, the, the dynamic within uh, access into commercial buildings is drastically different than a lot of other cities across the country, right? So if you go into, um, let's just say some maybe tier two cities in the in the Midwest or even in the Northeast, right? You can walk into a lot of commercial real estate buildings on your own and you can look at the registry and just say, hey, I'm here to go up to floor 14. And there's really not a large check on some of these facilities. But in New York, based off of the security protocols, it becomes part of the security package plus the amenity and the experience. There's a lot of high-tech individuals coming into buildings. They want to ensure that their privacy is secured, right, as well as their information is protected, as well as that their safety, right, when they're on site. So that's on the visitor side, on the front of the house. And then you basically mirror that for a 360-degree viewpoint on the back of the house. So now you've got vendors coming in through loading docks of office buildings or through service entrance. Are they the right people with the right vendors that are supposed to be there? So, um, you know, from a from a earshot of what we do, that's that's essentially it. 
Interesting. And so I'm curious, like, how did this all begin? Because that's, again, very niche product, uh, interesting problem and everything. And and so can you, I, um, can you maybe give me background, like how did this, like how did this start as a company and like how did this kind of all kick off? Yeah, so, so the product itself was bred out of a work order system that was launched in you know, the early 2000s by Jeff Friedman, our CEO. And through the market demand and augmentation of the market space itself around work orders and just different communication paths, you begin to evolve that into the visitor management solution in combination with then uh, through uh, certain things done at uh, some you know new developments in the New York City area, some of the larger uh, buildings that were being developed around the, the mid-210s. The need for tracking vendors coming in for the safety protocols also evolved around there. So it started out as just a work order system inside of a commercial real estate building in which people could put, send in maintenance requests, then augmented into a visitor management solution, which then led into a gateway of this looks like a, a bit of a custom development shop being building intelligence that may have the aptitude to be able to build now the vehicle side of it or the vendor side, as we say. So it was really an evolution over you know about 15 to 17 years of Jeff Friedman's life that evolved into uh, the company being switched from what essentially was short path, if you will, in the 2000s into what is building intelligence into the two teens. Interesting. And so I'm curious, um, as a company, have you guys kept some of those legacy products, kind of the work order systems, or is this something where this has shifted heavily to kind of this access, or is that kind of like your primary product now, or, or what does that kind of look like for you guys as a product mix? Yeah, so our product mix is really the visitor vehicle side, and we still have the, uh, call it the legacy product of the work order system, which from that side, it's very, um, I would say, the evolution of that space in general hasn't changed a ton of how that object is executed from the the property management side. Now, uh, quite a few other companies have entered in that space and then built upon that same framework to get into other amenity and operational uh, um, tracking within a commercial facility. But for us, it was really the, the bridge out of that. So it's still running with certain clients. We still have a percentage of our revenue dedicated to that because it was, uh, um, you know, no need to replace based off of what they were looking for. And now our main focus is really driving down the visitor and our uh, key differentiator is the vehicle and vendor component in which we have multiple patents tied to, um, as that is something that we are first to market in and continuing to evolve. Interesting. And, and so I'm curious then, if, you know, for you guys and like, who is like a typical customer uh, for building intelligence these days? Are you going after? Because I imagine that these are um, if you're dealing with arenas, it's not, you know, like a high volume. I imagine you guys are doing a, you know, a smaller number of very big deals. Like what does that typically look like or who's a kind of a typical customer? Yeah. So you could say in most cases, it's going to be on the commercial real estate side, anything that's about 200,000 square foot and above, mm-hmm. uh, right? Single or multi-tenant. If you get up into the higher uh, square footages, you're going to end up with a uh, a very high tenanted mix, Right. And that's also a little bit of where we make our make our bread, if you will, is the fact that we do um, handle multi-tenant structures within a stacking plan of how our software works and being able to customize brand to that level of an individual tenant. So very large office buildings, event centers, um, essentially the, you know, the most active event centers that you could think of are the going to be the customer types that we can handle. And then also, you know, we're working with, a, uh, you know, a few baseball teams out there as well on how their deliveries come in through, and even to that extent, the visitors coming in through their, let's just say, executive suites. Okay, fascinating. Yeah, it's um, 
And so I imagine with that, um, like with, and I'm curious, maybe uh, as you kind of grew with this, uh, you know, so I guess you kind of mentioned you kind of evolved from the work order system to this and the kind of regulation changes and stuff. Like, was this something that were those first, like, I guess, like large customers for the, um, the vehicle system Did those kind of come out of your existing customers or did those kind of happen because you guys had the connections for new buildings that were being put up or, or how does that, what does that look like? Yeah, essentially for the vehicle product, it spun out of communication with the uh, existing network. And, uh, you know, Jeff did an outstanding job of, of, you know, for lack of better words, just ensuring that he was in that conversation about product that could be built. And he took the chance of uh, essentially building it custom for that first project uh, and seeing the longevity of what this could lead to as far as the product uh, mix that he'd be putting together beside, you know, with the visitor and then the vehicle component. So he worked very closely with the people on the ground to create, you know, called a, a spec product with the intention, um, you know, of continuing to, to evolve that, not only for their needs, but also to envelope this into other applications for other, uh, other buildings. Because, it, you know, as far as competitiveness of commercial real estate buildings, when you get into who's got a better lobby or who's got better amenities, there is something to that. But then when you get into the security and the logistics side of it, everybody in that industry is really in the same game. It's all about ensuring that people are protected and that people are getting uh, on site in a very expedited fashion. But when you start looking at the, you know, the log- logistical and security side of it, there really is, I don't want to say, everybody doesn't necessarily keep the seat. It's a close-knit circle, right, where if they see best practices, like in convention centers, they're willing to sell, you know, not sell, but share those best practices with other like substances as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And and so I'm curious, um, I guess for your role then at Building Intelligence, I saw again your chief operating officer, um, previously vice president of sales. And um, I'm curious maybe like, what does your role look like or what is your typical day-to-day or responsibilities that you're handling? Yeah, so we're a small company, right? We're about 20 people. You know, we're head on the developer side, and then we actually go to market through the integrator security integrator channel for the most part, which means that we partner with those individuals that are working on those programs on those commercial fil- uh, facilities. And then we work with them on, uh, you know, making sure, ensuring that our product, if it hasn't been presented, is and whether or not it's the right solution for them. Uh, so what we have is we've got a you know, a stack of developers, if you will. And then we've got our business development group that handles the um, uh, the partner management side of things. We've got a marketing team to support them. And we've also got our client success team plus our project managers that help deploy the, the, the projects as they come on board and then maintain those. So my day-to-day is ensuring that all of that is working in continuity, right? So I've got, you know, my sales meetings on Mondays. I've got my project meetings on Mondays. I got my client success meetings on Fridays. And in the middle of that, I've got development updates as far as where projects are tracking and so on. Um, you know, and obviously in between there, making sure that the, you know, billings being adequately sent out and uh, uh, collections are being done and all of that stuff. So really, I would say from a you know, it's Jeff and myself, you know, the CEO and myself as the chief operating officer that are, uh, you know, the basically the, the two guys in the cockpit, if you will, that are managing the, the levers. So he and I work together on ensuring that we're covering each other's back and uh, sharing the duties or doing what we can to ensure that the things are getting out the door in the proper manner, right? Stay lean, but stay, stay quick. Nice. I love that. In, in typical COO fashion, your answer was a little bit of everything. So yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's um, yeah. My my history. I was 
uh, I had the luxury of, you know, kind of evolving into a bit of a, you know, a, a silo in a larger company um, in my former life. Uh, but it's, it's just part of the journey of a small to a, a larger business is, you know, you've got to, you've got to jump on the phone with customers. You've got to get out there. I still run demonstrations to a certain extent when needed, you know, I'll go on site with customers as well. Small business means a lot of activities. So yeah, I believe it. And one of the things I want to hit on that I found interesting is when you said to your, um, your go-to-market strategy was through security integrators. So mm-hmm. am I correct that you guys are not selling directly to buildings, but instead you kind of work with the um, overall kind of security companies that are basically providing those services already to buildings and you're just become a product that they offer in their whole suite of, you know, entry door kind of you know, locks, all, all the stuff that they would be putting in on a standard building. And you guys are kind of an additional thing that goes through them. Is that right? That's, that's exactly it. For the most part, especially when you talk about the visitor management side, mm-hmm. that's definitely almost automatically done through the channel mm-hmm. um, because there's certain service components in which you have to enter, you have to work on, let's just say access control systems, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to be certified to work on those access control systems and their engineers are. Um, so that allows from the, the, the support side. And then also just from the, the level of exposure to their clients, right? It helps get us out into more people. Now on the vehicle side, it's interesting because as I mentioned earlier, it kind of bridges a gap between security and operations. And there are events in which we, the, the security integrator uh, on that transaction may or may not be involved because there won't be anything that really touches that security wall, if you will. It's really more of a logistical fashion. So it, it, it really depends on the deployment. But nine times out of 10, we are through the, the channel for the most part. Okay. Interesting. And um, I'm curious, like, what have you seen? Because I know that that's... Um, you know, that's like, it's just a very, like, it's a different strategy. It makes sense. What have you seen or maybe some kind of, I guess, like the pros or cons, because I know you've also had other businesses as well of, I guess, having a business where you're primarily having a partner to say, like, you know, sales strategy versus a direct sales strategy. What, how's that kind of impacted for you guys? Yeah. So for me, immediately, as far as the con of it is you lose touch with the, the end user, possibly throughout the sales cycle in an intermittent basis, right? So you, you don't necessarily have the ability to affect change on the, 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 the sales cycle itself um, and discounting or not discounting, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, we work with them, there's margins built in and we get that. Uh, but normally, let's just say my previous life where, uh, you know, my team of sales reps is working directly with the, the buyer, you have the ability to have honest conversations about that. And with the security integrator, it's not that they're not honest conversations, but you just don't, you don't see that other side of it in certain instances. So certain deals can lag, can drag. You're kind of at the, um, or in the positive side can speed up based off of the skill set or the immediate need of the, uh, um, the customer, but you just don't have that transparency is a, is a very just easy way to say it. Yeah. And I imagine are there kind of like almost pros where you've got a sales team that you don't have to necessarily fully like pay all of these people that are consistently out there selling um, your services, but at the same time, you also lack some control over sales as well. Is that true? That's exactly right. So really the business question on that is, does that model outweigh the lack of visibility? And I would say, Absolutely. In the world that we are in on our distribution model, it does because we can create that force multiplier where let's just say I've got three salespeople, right? Or partner managers, they manage 
those relationships, each one of those has, let's just say, I don't know, let's just say 60 relationships. And each one of those relationships with those companies has, you know, three people that are selling on our behalf, right? So each one of those technically have multiplied themselves 180 times, right? Without uh, the level of oversight that would be needed to actually manage that sales group. So it definitely is. There's an upkeep, there's a training process, there's a constant communication path of ensuring that they're up to speed on our rate card and the new enhancements that we're bringing to the market. But ultimately, yeah, so as long as that outweighs the other, then it never makes sense to really deviate from that. There's certain deals that you actually might have to walk away from because the customer, let's just say, as I mentioned earlier on a visitor management program, may say, we'd rather go direct on this, right? And we've had to, to say, well, if that's the case, then you know we're not gonna be able to provide for you. There's, ha- there's been those scenarios. Or we'll bring them in underneath as a support component and we'll just bring them in on the deal and we'll, the, we'll share the cost. It's nothing, you know, it's nothing on the uh, the end user side because we will need them possibly for support and we want to utilize that. Yeah, that makes sense. That's um, yeah, super fascinating hearing, I guess, the pros and the cons of that kind of entire model there and uh, definitely uh, yeah. some some ups and downs to it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, my previous life I uh, with Excelgen, I had built uh, a team up to 60 reps, remote sales p- people spread across the country. Uh, completely different. We could manage the sales cycle. I knew down to the day what our average sales cycle was, uh, what the customer life, you know, the customer lifetime value was going to be on that, all of that. And um, this, there's, you know, there's a little bit more fluidity to this one than there is to. Yeah. And so I'm curious maybe to hear more on your backstory and how did you end up in this role? And um, what were some of your positions that you held before kind of this leading up to this? And, and how did you end up coming to work with Building Intelligence? Yeah, so I've always been closely tied to you know smaller companies, at least at the beginning of it, right? So when I I started out at Excelligent, I spent the better part of you know called 14 and a half years with Excelligent, came on as a business development guy, and then carried multiple roles as far as uh, you know regional district business development into uh, let's just say more of an operational role of standing up and building a you know a customer success group or a cl- customer support group, and then going back into uh, research operations and managing a group there, and then jumping back into business development. Ultimately, built about six different departments while I was there. Ended up taking on the VP of uh, Sales and Operations role uh, later in my career. Had that for what call it about four years or so, and then rolled into the Chief Revenue Officer a role. I. I Started as the 45th employee, ended at a, somewhere around the, uh, you know, we had close to a thousand, both internationally and domestically. So grew the company quite a bit. Um, revenue anywhere from, you know, grew it from 2 million, if you will, when I started. And by the time we ended, it was somewhere around 30 million. So it was a good little ride. Uh, to, learned a lot. It unfortunately came to, a, came to an end, which is how I ended up here. Uh, but through uh, a competitive litigation, it ultimately sunk the company after about $130 million of investment over the over that course of those years, if you will. That was challenging to take on, right? A lot of uh, a lot of my life involved in, in building that company. But ultimately jumped into another software, uh, CRE software, commercial real estate software company. I uh, did a little stint there until I was approached to join Building Intelligence, at which point I came on as a VP of sales to build out that partner manager program and start driving the marketing team and basically created that infrastructure and reporting system. And then at which point uh, took on the chief operating officer role as, uh, as I am now. So here we are. That's incredible. And uh, it's quite the journey and it's, uh, it sounds shameful on how that entire path ended, but I imagine you did a heck of a lot and uh, had some great experience along the, 
the ride with that. Um, I guess like, you know, just seeing like what you've been able to build in the past and everything, like what is your kind of vision or what are um, your and your CEO's kind of visions for where you're wanting to take building intelligence? You know, we're trying to create, evolve the product, if you will, into not just visitor and vendor management. Uh, we're layering on now a transparency component that allows a dashboard view, more intelligence to be drawn out of that, which also allows different hooks to be kicked into, into different disparate data sources, start becoming uh, integrated more intensely within the, the facility itself that it's deployed at. Security is going to be a byproduct of everything we are doing, but rolling into the, uh, for lack of better words, controlling access management, possibly down to the biometric as we start to evolve that concept, right, into also working with the operational facilities on tying out those data streams together to where you get into a true outsider, insider threat, if you will, from a security perspective, but also from an operational and capacity modeling uh, perspective, you also have that intelligence as well. That way you understand how everything's coming together. We find ourselves in an interesting place right now, understanding the pandemic in which the idea of scheduling, not visitors, but scheduling employees to come on site is becoming something that's much more paramount. Uh, we've got some large clients that both domestically and internationally that are asking us to uh, augment our software to have the ability to let's just say schedule, you would be able to schedule yourself to come on that day, but based off the capacity of what's allowed on site that day and where you sit, that logic may not let another person come on, but would allow them to possibly pick another day to come on. So as we move through the pandemic environment, there are some interesting things to, uh, to consider, but it's ultimately goes down into is this temporary or is it not, right? So there lies the questions, where's the office market, where's the workplace market going to be in 18 months? So a lot of this is trying to figure out what is um, temporary versus, what is ephemeral versus what is real to stay. So, um, but that's where we really wanna take it. We're gonna evolve ourselves out of just a visitor and vehicle management system into a, uh, a smart solution tied to different aspects of all businesses and facilities. Yeah, that's incredible. And I love just hearing the vision of that, uh, age of some of the ways you guys are seeing just reacting to the current situation with the pandemic, but also just the, whenever you talk about kind of like even biometric and like, I'm just, you know, picturing the movies where they scan the faces of people as they walk in and stuff. And it's like, wow, like that's kind of real now with, you know, face IDs on smartphones and everything. And it's, um, it's interesting to see, I guess, where this is all going to and kind of the possibilities and what, what technology could actually bring for you there. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely real. The biometrics are coming, um, but it's not necessarily there yet. You, so let's just say you go to a building with a turnstile, right? And I, you have a QR code, you have a badge and you walk up to the, the turnstile, you expect that thing to open almost every time. Mm-hmm. about 99.9% of the time. You're an employee there and you have your hard card. You go up, you scan that, that thing should open 99% of the time. Facial recognition, as far as the technology, is not quite there yet to where you could tie everything out together and have that open 99% of the time. Instead, somebody's going to get blasted by the turnstile, right? Because it doesn't open. <laughs> you got to do the awkward back out of that thing. Um, so while it's uh, it's coming, it's it's not quite there from a security provision for uh, for individuals to get access controlled by that. But we're working with uh, a few different companies on beta testing that to to, to get the, uh, the treads moving there. 
but the environment is going to be very interesting from uh, the ecosystem that a lot of the, uh, let's just say corporations are also putting together. And this is being able to track not only one site, but let's just say ABC company has 15 sites across the country. Some of the people going there, let's just say it's an oil company or gas company, they've got contractors going in, they've got employees going in and they've got visitors going in. And being able to see a roll up of all that intelligence and understanding who's going where and being able to track, uh, you know, ultimately watch list people that aren't allowed on site, ensuring that they don't go from one site to another site. That level of just depth isn't available right now. And that's really why we, we're starting to try to elevate ourselves out of just a transactional business and more into an enterprise solution set. It's a fascinating, fascinating feel. And it just seems like um, the more technology develops, the more every single piece of that building is going to become completely integrated where I know, imagine now it's a lot of disparate vendors and tools there, but like you guys seem like you were at this crucial point where you can kind of mesh a lot of those pieces together essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you make a great point on that. There are, there is, there is a bit of a consolidation. So CRE tech has been heavily invested in over the last call it five to seven years. And the pandemic is, you know, is going to wash out some of those earlier stage startups that may not have had the foothold that they would have wanted. But you will see a contraction, I think, in some of those companies into, uh, you know, more segmented silos. But we were talking about the work order system earlier. You've got those those systems that are actually, you know, kind of merging into energy uh, monitoring, right? So what's the occupancy versus the energy output and basically getting into the billables of the of the building itself to ensure that it's operating at its most optimal time when it needs to. So you've got a merge of kind of utilities versus work order into one. And then you've got outside of that, then you've got, let's just say the peripheral um, or the perimeter of the building, which is access control plus you know, visitor management plus vehicle management plus that side of it. So you've got a couple different things that may be tugging against one another at this point. I don't know that there'll ever be a contraction. I think you might see certain companies meld together, but it's a, it's an interesting dynamic right now. The pandemic ultimately is, unfortunately, is calling out some of the, uh, the other companies that, you know, were fighting over certain levels of CRE uh, opportunity, you know, as far as commercial real estate software is. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's interesting to hear the where the trends of the industry are going, and um, and so as I guess we're wrapping up here, one of the things I want to ask is, you know, for others, you know, you've got a ton of experience with um, the previous companies you've grown with Excelligent, and then mm-hmm. what you're doing with building intelligence. So, you know, for other, you know, um, executives kind of growing um, B2B companies, you know, what advice would you have for others who are really just trying to hit that traction and you know get the get their product growing at the the level that you've been able to grow your past and your current company? Oh. What advice? That's a that's a great question. Um, I would say the first thing is it's all about the people. I, I think it you know you can have the best idea, but if you don't have the right people around to execute it and buy in, I would say that's ultimately it. And I've seen a few different times where the wrong people can set you back, especially when you're a company. Let's just say early stage. Let's just say our size, twenty people. If you've got two people that aren't aligned and they're in key positions, right? As far as product development, could be sales, could be support, could be anything. That can be drastically detrimental. Whereas in a larger company, you can get lost in the shuffle. You're a bit of a spoke on this wheel, right? And you're, you know, you can fly below the radar. But I would say the first advice that I could give to, to anybody in a, you know, in building a business is evaluate, uh, track, um, transparency, right? Understand the, 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 
the KPIs, the, the scoring system that needs to be allocated to the business and how you operate. And that way you can catch some of those things early on. Um, that would be the number one thing that I would, I would operate in. Have the right people there. It's, you know, the, the old thing of, you know, right people on the bus, you got to have them. And, then, and I'm, to kind of follow up on that, what I guess do you guys do to make sure you've got the right people on the bus? You know, that's, that's like, <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, how do you do uh, that? Yeah, that's the I magic mean, question. <laughs> it is. Uh, extensively interview. More, if, you, if you think you've interviewed the one person enough, go ahead and bring them in one more time. Uh, you know, it's, it's just exhausted. Uh, and create a wide base of the opportunity and don't settle. So if you've got to fill a rec, right, you've got a position request that you need to uh, request a requirement that you need to put in place, right? And you've got a deadline for yourself. Don't settle, right? If you've got a person, you've got a skill set, you've got a mindset that you're looking for, ensure that your hiring system is built around that. And, and trying to pull that out of the candidate and, and wait if you have to. I mean, it's because if not the investment in that, like I said, larger companies, sure, you can throw, you can hire 10 people and expect that you're going to have a washout of 30% and you're okay with that. At a small company, that, you know, that's, that could be half your company. That could be, you know, a large quarter of your company. And it's just so, it's just, it can be paralyzing. So I would say don't settle. I would say don't settle and ensure spend time on your hiring process and how you evaluate the candidates. Um, it's not always perfect. You're going to have people roll out, uh, but call, uh, as they say, fail fast, right? Tell the truth quick on individuals. If it is a bad hire. Nice. Love that. Awesome. Um, awesome advice there. Um, well, Chris, um, thank you for coming on here for anyone who wants to find out more about you or building intelligence online. What's the place, best place to go? Yeah, so they can find me on LinkedIn and building intelligence, buildingintelligence.com, or you can find us on uh, LinkedIn as well and or Facebook. Uh, hit us up there. Uh, we can add you to our mailing list, follow us on LinkedIn and uh, be part of the be part of the crew to figure out what, what we got going on next. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to come on here, Chris. Thank you, Jake. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find links and show notes from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.